I'm gonna stick it on my I'm sticking it on my glasses so if I can't see what I'm reading. I gotta make a sacrifice here someplace. We're thankful for everybody that's here and I, I do want to name add a name to the uh, prayer request. Uh, one of the veterans that I've been seeing out at the VA for a long time and um, I went in to check him after the girls had cleaned his teeth and he said, Greg, he said he said uh he said uh, they'd given me a new diagnosis, and uh, he told me, he said, I'm terminal. He said, they've done all that they can do for me. And I told him, his name's Charles Compton, and I asked him, I said, it's okay if I put you on a prayer request list at church? He said, by all means. Uh, I believe him to be a brother in Christ. And we both shed a few tears, and I said, you know, I said, I'll look forward to seeing you again the next time you come in for a checkup, but I said, if you're not here, I will see you again. So I ask that you would pray for him, pray for his family. Uh, Charles Compton, um, when uh, we talked about doing this, you know, uh, about our services today, and you know, Brother Randy had had said something at one of our services the other day, and I was amazed at what he said. It had been one of the very things that I had been thinking about for a while, and and I told him after that when, when he said it, I said, I, I've been thinking about that. And he said, well, he's standing up there, he said, you know what? Randy said, the garden is a special place in the scriptures. And that's what I've been thinking about. So I'm going to take that as a thought today and as a matter of a topic. And I'm going to think about a garden, you know. Sometimes we get to thinking about our gardens and we kind of limit it to what we think it is. Most of the time we automatically think about putting out beans, putting out corn, tomatoes. And then I think about what our ladies do. They put out these flowers all over the place and put it out in front of the house or in the little garden, kind of spruce the place up, make it look pretty with all the ferns and the flowers and, and things that, that uh, go along the front porch and everything like Carter does, all the different colors. I'm going to tell you one thing right now. A garden is so much more than that. And I looked up what Webster's, it's funny when Brother Joe talked about the manger, and I got it in here. I looked it up in Webster's too. <laughs> but when I looked up what it said about Webster's, about what a garden is, this is what it said. It's a plot of ground where herbs, fruits, flowers, or vegetables are grown. Then it added, a public recreation area or park usually ornamented with plants and trees like a botanical garden. And I began to think about that, and, and I'm still not quite sure that that's all that a garden is. So I want to turn over to the book of Genesis and I want to look over in chapter 2. 
And I want to read a little bit about this first garden. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 8 says, And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life also is in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. These verses says that God planted his first garden on earth. Now if you keep reading on about what it says about this garden, and you know, Webster's called it a plot of ground, then it's a pretty good sized plot of ground. Because if you read in verse 10, it says, And a river went out of Eden to water the garden, and from thence it was parted, because it had four heads. So, this garden was a pretty big place. Yes, there were fruits, uh, and, there, and there were vegetables, there were trees to place. But that's not all. God took Adam and he placed him in his garden and he gave him a specific duty. That duty that Adam was given was to take care of this garden. Look down in verse 15. It says, And the Lord God took man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. And I think about this job that Adam had. And you know what? It was a blessing. It's a blessing for a man to be able to work and to do those things. One of the jobs that Adam was given was he was to name all the animals. You read over here in verse 18, it says, The Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him and help meet for him. And out of the ground... The Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. Adam gave names to all the cattle, to all the fowl of the air, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a help meet for him. So I look at everything that I see about this garden and you know what I begin to see about it? Pretty much sounds like a farm to me. Thinking about what we think about the gar- a garden and what we see here. And Adam was placed in it to take care of it. And you know what? I love being able to take care of my farm. God has allowed me to use it for this little time that I'm here on this earth. 
Now, it's okay if you don't live on a farm. But here's what I think about cities. That's where all them politicians out there live. <laughs> Sometimes when I'm taking care of my farm, you know, I think I can do a better job than others. There's some times where you've got to do a lot more work to keep it up. In the summertime, and all the mowing and everything that you have to do to keep the fences, you've got to go through that and, and everything. And Then I think about, yeah, we do put out vegetables and things like that in the summertime. But we try to keep it up. It's, it's like a special place for me. Now, i got to tell you this. One of the cows was pretty close to having a calf. And I came home Friday evening, Friday afternoon, and all this snow and this cold weather that had already came in overnight, blowing and ice was everywhere. And I looked over across the creek, and one of the cows, she was kind of off by herself. So I told that to Carla when I, I in the in the afternoon I, the kids was at the house so I took Grace and Will back. When I got back, Carla said uh, we, we're going to have to do something about that cow. And you know we went down to the barn or we went down. I got behind the cow and she started walking. We got her walked over to the barn. And I felt like that was a duty for me. I wanted to do that. About taking care of what God had given me. I'm going to tell you something about my cows. They don't like to go in the barn. They like to be away. They like to roam around. And... The way that my barn's set up right now, I've got my equipment in it, so I don't have it open to where they can go in and <clears throat> where they can come out. So, you know, they I pretty much keep it closed off. <clears throat> now, I'm going to give you what my cattle think about my barn. I know I've heard y'all talk this morning all about being fans of Yellowstone. Well, and, you know, you think about that place, it's a beautiful place, but here's what my cattle think. They think it's the train station. <laughs> a lot of times when I put my cattle into the barn, I find them down and I put them up in the trailer. I take them off, and they don't come back. Not most of the time. Now, I have taken them and made the bull steers and brought them back to the farm, but... That's what my cattle think about my barn. It's a train station. But we got that cow up, and, you know, I went down. I think I got up real early on was it Saturday morning, went down. I left the lights on down and everything, and, and uh, everything was fine. And uh, she, she was doing good, and, I went down there this morning, and sure enough, she had that calf. I told Carl, I said, I don't know how you knew it. (laughs) 
She said, well, she just looked like she was nesting. <laughs> but we got a new calf. We had it some morning. I told Carl, we're just going to have to call that baby calf Christmas. <laughs> now, I know I've gone off a little bit, but I want to get back to the Bible about <clears throat> what I see here about the garden. One of the greatest feelings that I have about when I put out a garden is I start bringing in those vegetables. Now, because of Adam's disobedient and the curse that was placed on man, bringing in them vegetables is not an easy task. Genesis chapter 3, and you know, we think about verses 14 to 19 about the promise that we were given of Christ. Because of what Adam was, what Adam did, God told Adam, I'm going to put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. Then I think about what he told Adam. And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake, and in sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face thou shalt shalt thou eat bread till thou return unto the ground. I think about those times when I go down to the garden, the vegetable part, been down there working in my garden, I think out loud, thanks Adam for putting all this work on me just to get these vegetables. All the tilling you got to do, all the hoeing you got to do, pulling those weeds, and what you have to do to get some beans and some corn, tomatoes, squash, zucchini. I even think, wonder what Adam had to do to keep up the garden before he sinned. Couldn't have been nothing like what he was doing. I can't imagine what that would have been like. But yet, when I put out a garden, you know, I do it for me, I do it for my family and Carla. And I'm down there at the garden, you know what, I get a lot of thinking done. There's a lot of things that, that go through my mind, seem like when I'm working down there at the garden. And I probably even get out a little bit of frustration down there. And I think about that, all that I'm doing down there at that garden, it all seems worth it when I start bringing in those squash, I start bringing in them beans, I bring in that corn, and I get it up there to Carla, and she looks at me, and, and she brings it in, and she says, man, everything is beautiful. You know, that's a good feeling, you know, when, when you do that. Bring it all in there, and you think, man, it's been worth it. So then I began to think about Cain and what he must have thought 
when he brought to God of the first fruits of his garden for an offering to God and him not being able to hear the words. Man, everything's so beautiful and so good. You know what he heard was? Hey, that ain't good enough. Now, it'd be very hard on me if I brought some stuff up from the garden to call her and she looked at me and she said, hey, that ain't good enough. Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 to 7. I might not read them all. Well, it talks about how Adam and Eve had their sons, Cain and Abel. Verse 2 says, And she again bare his brother Abel. And Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel, he also brought the firstlings of his flock and the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering, but unto Cain and his offering he had no respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance failed. Now we're not told much about what transpired in the Bible between... Genesis chapter 3 and verse 7 where Adam and Eve have partaken of the fruit and it says that their eyes were open to their nakedness. And they made a covering for themselves out of leaves. We're not told much about that but then in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 21 the Lord probably looked at Adam and Eve and said, you know what, them ain't good enough. Verse 21 says, Unto Adam also unto his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothed them. When Adam and Eve stood before God in those leaves, I'm sure that they understood the words, that's not good enough. It's the first time that there is an understanding that there must be a blood sacrifice for our sin. And we're not told anything in the Bible, but between the time that we see Adam and Eve and then they have their first sons, Cain and Abel, we're not told much about that time frame. But somewhere along the line, I have to think that Adam understood about the blood offering and he must have explained it to his sons. One had an understanding, Abel, and the other one didn't, Cain. The coats of skins that were covered on Adam and Eve, they typify Christ and in Him that we are made righteous. You know, Cain is like what we see about most men in the world today and about their religion. and They're destitute about their adequateness of, of sin, their sense of sin. They don't see that. They don't see the need for an atonement. Uh, 
they worship in themselves their own self-will and they become angry with God. And Cain slew his brother and then he lied about it and then he became a vagabond. Like, like what we see out in the world today. Whereas what we see in Abel, he's a type of spiritual man. His sacrifice in which atoning blood was shed was at once his confession of sin and the expression of his faith knowing he needed a substitute for sin. Now we've been talking a little bit about garden stuff and I'm going to you know, there's, there's a lot mentioned about gardens in the Bible. But there's another garden that I want to talk about. And in its accordance to the promise that was given to us in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15 about the promise of the Savior. I cannot tell you much about Bethlehem except about what I see in the Scriptures. I'm sure if you went there today, you still wouldn't have a good feeling of what it was like there because it's probably so commercialized today. I know people take trips over to the Holy Land and you know, I'm, I'm sure that there's things that they see. But I'm not sure it's what we have in the Scripture. I can't tell you anything, whether it was a city, whether it was a town, whether it was a community, I don't know. But I do know what the Scriptures tell me. And wherever there was in Bethlehem, there must have been a barnyard there. Because just as what we've, what the world knows today, Christ came into this world, and Mary did wrap him up, and she laid him in a manger. As Brother Joe has already alluded to this morning, the manger was a feeding trough for the animals, the bigger animals. So it sounds pretty much like a barnyard to me. Now we do recognize that today and every day and you know we recognize how Christ came into this world. It is a blessed event. I want to say that today. He had to come into the world this way according to God's plan. That's not the focus of my subject here, though. It does give us some insight into how that Christ, being part of the Godhead, just as what Brother Randy said this morning, He had to come as the lowliest of lows in all His humanity to be exalted as a Savior. 
So let's turn our attention to another garden. There are many times that are mentioned in the Bible that tells us that Christ retreated from the crowds to get some peace and solace. But this garden that we're going to talk about, the Garden of Gethsemane, I'm going to tell you what, that's probably the most special garden that's mentioned in the Bible. The only problem is, you know what, that garden was a great place of agony for Christ. Look over the book of Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26. If you look in verse 36. Then cometh Jesus with them into a place called Gethsemane, and saith unto his disciples, Sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Then saith he unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here, and watch with me. And he went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. And he cometh unto the disciples and findeth them asleep and saith unto Peter, What? Could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And he went away again a second time and prayed, saying, O my Father, if this cup may not pass away from me except I drink it, thy will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. And he left them and went again and prayed the third time, saying the same words. Then cometh he to his disciples and saith disciples and saith unto them, Sleep on now and take your rest. Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. Behold, he is at hand that doth betray me. Christ had a complete understanding about what was about to transpire in his earthly life and what had to be done. In accordance to what we see that Adam and Eve had that blood sacrifice for sin. He had a complete understanding that for the remission of sin that there had to be that blood sacrifice and he knew that that was the work that he was sent here on this earth to do. Now let me tell you something else about Christ's prayer. In the book of John, in chapter 17, 
I think about all that agony that Christ was going through in that garden. Christ said in John chapter 17 and verse 19, And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through truth. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through the word. You know who Christ had agony for? Me. He was agonizing over me. About that love that we talked about this morning. I think about all that agony that Christ had in the garden of Gethsemane. If you're here today and you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, you were on His mind in that garden. You know what? That should humble every child of God today. A place where He retreated so that He could find rest was a place that He recognized what was to be done for His children. Christ going to the cross of Calvary was the most blessed event that this world ever has known and ever will know along with his death, his burial, and his resurrection. He did that to prove that he had power and victory over those very things. But he had to do it. It's only by Christ and through Christ and his shed blood There are many out there today that need to hear that gospel message. Because if they don't, they don't believe on Christ as their Savior, you know what they're going to hear before they stand before God one day and say, Lord, this is what I bring to you? They're going to hear the words, that ain't good enough. He needed to believe on my son. That's all I had this morning, Brother Randy. If you want to come and lead us in a song.